Krishna, dear devotees, welcome back <clears throat> to the daily readings of Srila Prabhupada's books, right here in the live studios in High Kent, South East England, near the English Channel, uh, otherwise known as the Haven in Anglo-Saxon. Hive means haven. So we're trying to increase the atmosphere of a haven here by constantly reading Srila Prabhupada's books. And we thank you very much for attending. And I just was told, I'm reminded that I didn't have my microphone properly situated. All right. <clears throat> so, let us get right into it. Srimad Bhagavata Mahima Stotram from Sri Krishna Lila Stava, texts 412 through 416, by Srila Sanatana Goswami, the eloquent and deeply spiritual glorification of Srimad Bhagavatam, of which the tenth canto, the Krishna book, is the Summa Bonum. Goes like this <clears throat> Sarva Shastravdipi Yusha. Sarva Vedaika Satpala Sarva Siddhanta Ratnaja Sarva Lokaika Drik Prida O nectar from the ocean of all scriptures singular fruit of all the Vedas rich mine of the precious gems of all conclusive truths you are the only giver of sight to all the worlds Sarva Bhagavata Prana Srimad Bhagavata Prabhu Kali Dvandodita Aditya Sri Krishna Parivartita O life heir of all the Supreme Lord's devotees O Master Srimad Bhagavatam You are the sun risen in the darkness of Kali You are the exact image of Sri Krishna Paramananda Pataya Premavarshakshadayate Sarvada Sarvasevyaya Shri Krishnaya Namostume I bow down to you who are supremely blissful to read. Your every syllable pours down a flood of prema. You can always be served by everyone. You are Shri Krishna himself. Madeka Bando Matsangin Madguro Man Mahadana my only friend, my constant companion, my spiritual master, my great wealth, my savior, my good fortune, my source of ecstasy, I bow down to you. Asadu sadhuta dayin atini chochata kada hanamun chikadachin mam O bestower of saintliness to the unsaintly, O exalter of the most fallen, please never leave me. Always appear in my heart and my voice with pure love. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate 
Vasudevaya So Lord Krishna uh, is turning up the heat so to speak uh, to remove the burden uh, of the earth and to protect and give relief from to his devotees from feeling separation from him we've reached the 73rd chapter of the 10th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam Lord Krishna returns to the city of Hastinapur the kings and princes released by Lord Krishna after the death of Jarasandha were, rule, were rulers of different parts of the world Jarasandha was so powerful in military strength that he had conquered all these princes and kings numbering 20,800. They were all incarcerated within a mountain cave especially constructed as a fort and for a long time they were kept in that situation. When they were released by the grace of Lord Krishna they all looked very unhappy their garments were niggardly and their faces were almost dried up for want of proper bodily care. They were very weak due to hunger and their faces had lost all beauty and luster. The king's long imprisonment had caused every part of their bodies to become slack and invalid. However, because in that miserable condition they had had the opportunity to think about Lord Krishna. They immediately saw him. Now, as the Supreme Personality of Godhead Vishnu, they saw that the color of, it, of the transcendental body of Lord Krishna resembled the hue of a newly arrived cloud in the sky. He appeared before them, nicely covered by yellow silken garments with four hands like Vishnu and carrying the different symbols of the club, the conch shell, the disc and the lotus flower. His chest was marked with a golden line and the nipples on his chest appeared like the horals of lotus flowers. His eyes appeared to spread like the petals of the lotus and his smiling face exhibited the, exhibited the symbol of eternal peace and prosperity. <clears throat> he wore glittering sharp-shaped earrings and his helmet was bedecked with valuable jewels. The Lord's necklace of pearls and the bangles and bracelets nicely situated on his body all shone with a transcendental beauty. The Kostuba gem, the Kostuba jewel hanging on his neck glittered with great luster and the Lord wore a beautiful flower garland. After so much distress, when the kings and princes saw Lord Krishna with his beautiful transcendental features, they looked upon him to their heart's content as if drinking nectar through their eyes, licking his body with their tongues smelling the aroma of his body 
with their noses and embracing him with their arms. Just by dint of their being in front of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, all reactions to their sinful activities were washed away. Therefore, without reservation, they surrendered themselves at the lotus feet of the Lord. It is stated in the Bhagavad Gita that unless one is freed from all sinful reactions, one cannot fully surrender unto the lotus feet of the Lord. All the princes who saw Lord Krishna forgot all their past tribulations. With folded hands and with great devotion, they offered prayers to Lord Krishna as follows. Dear Lord, O Supreme Personality of Godhead, Master of all demigods, you can immediately remove all your desires, pangs, because you because your devotees are fully surrendered unto you. O dear Lord Krishna, O eternal deity of transcendental bliss and knowledge, you are imperishable, and we offer our respectful obeisances unto your lotus feet. It is by your causeless mercy that we have been released from the imprisonment within it is by your causeless mercy that we have been released from the imprisonment of Jarasandha. But now we pray that you release us from the imprisonment within material existence, your illusory energy. Please stop our continuous cycle of birth and death. We now have sufficient experience of the miserable material life in which we are fully absorbed and having tasted its bitterness, we have come to take shelter unto your lotus feet. Therefore, please give us your protection. Dear Lord, O killer of the demon Madhu, we can now clearly see that Jarasandha was not at fault in the least. It is actually by your causeless mercy that we were bereft of our kingdoms. For we were very proud of calling ourselves rulers and kings. A ruler or king who becomes too much puffed up with false prestige and power gets no opportunity to understand his real constitutional position and eternal life. Under the influence of your illusory energy, such a foolish so-called ruler or king becomes falsely proud of his position, just like a foolish person who considers a mirage in the desert, a reservoir of water. Foolish persons think that their material possessions will give them protection. Engaged in sense gratification, they falsely accept this material world as a place of eternal enjoyment. O Lord, O Supreme Personality of Godhead, we must admit that before this we were puffed up with our material opulences. It was as if we were intoxicated because we were all envious and wanted to conquer one another. We all engaged in fighting for supremacy, even at the cost of sacrificing the lives of many citizens.
This is the disease of political power. As soon as a king becomes rich in material opulences, he wants to dominate other nations by military aggression. Similarly, mercantile men want to monopolize a certain type of business and control other mercantile groups. Impelled by false prestige and infatuated by material opulences, human society, instead of striving for Krishna consciousness, creates havoc and disrupts peaceful living. Thus men forget the real purpose of life to attain the favor of Lord Vishnu, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The kings continued, O Lord, we were simply engaged in the abominable task of killing citizens and alluring them to be unnecessarily killed just to satisfy our political whims. We did not consider that your Lordship is always present before us in the form of cruel death. We were so foolish that we became the cause of death for others, forgetting our own impending death. But, dear Lord, the force of the time element, which is your representative, is certainly insurmountable. The time element is so strong that no one can escape its influence. Therefore, we have received the reactions of our atrocious activities, and we are now bereft of all opulences and stand before you like street beggars. We consider our position, your causeless, unalloyed mercy upon us, because we can now we can understand that we were falsely proud and that our material opulences could be withdrawn from us within a second by your will. By your causeless mercy only, we are now able to think of your lotus feet. This is our greatest gain. Dear Lord, everyone knows that the body is a breeding ground of diseases now we are quite aged, and instead of being proud of our bodily strength, we are getting weaker day by day. We are no longer interested in sense gratification or the false happiness derived through the material body. By your grace, we have now come to the conclusion that hankering after such material happiness is just like searching for water in a desert mirage. We are, we are no longer interested in the results of our pious activities, such as performing great sacrifices to be elevated to the heavenly planets. We now understand that such elevation to a higher material standard may sound very reasonable, relishable. We now understand that such elevation to a higher material standard may sound very relishable, but actually there cannot be any happiness within this material world. We pray for your Lordship to favor us by instructing us how to engage in the transcendental loving service of your lotus feet so that we may never forget our eternal relationship with your Lordship.
We do not want liberation from the entanglement of material existence. By your will, we may take birth in any species of life. It does not matter. We simply pray that we never forget your lotus feet under any circumstances. Dear Lord, we now surrender unto your lotus feet by offering our respectful obeisances unto you because you are the Supreme Lord, the Personality of Godhead. Krishna, the son of Vasudev, you are the super soul of it in everyone's heart and you are Lord Hari who can take away all miserable conditions of material existence. Dear Lord, your, your name is Govinda, the reservoir of all pleasure, because one who is engaged in satisfying your senses satisfies his own senses automatically. Dear Lord, you are ever famous, for you can put an end to all the miseries of your devotees. Please, therefore, accept us as your surrendered servants. After hearing the prayers of the kings released from the prison of Jarasandha, Lord Krishna, who is always the protector of surrendered souls and the ocean of mercy for the devotees, replied to them as follows in his sweet transcendental voice, which was grave and full of meaning. My dear kings, he said, I bestow upon you my blessings, from this day forth, you will be attached to my devotional service without fail. I give you this benediction as you have desired. You may know from me that I am always sitting within your hearts as the super soul. And because you have now turned your faces towards me, I as master of everyone shall always give you good counsel so that you may never forget me and so that gradually you will come back home, back to Godhead. My dear kings, your decision to give up all conceptions of material enjoyment and turn instead toward my devotional service is factually the symptom of your good fortune. Henceforward, you will always be blessed with blissful life. I confirm that all of you have spoken about me I, have, I confirm all that you have spoken about me in your prayers is factual. It is a fact that the materially opulent position of one who is not fully Krishna conscious is the cause of his downfall and is becoming a victim of the illusory energy. In the past, there were many rebellious kings such as Haihaya, Nahusha, Vena, Ravana, and Narakasura. Some of them were demigods and some of them demons. But because of their false perception of their positions, they fell from their exalted posts and thus they no longer remained kings of their respective kingdoms and were lost in the violence of abominable conditioned life. Every one of you must understand that anything material has its starting point, growth, maintenance, expansion, deterioration, and finally, disappearance. 
all material bodies are subject to these six conditions and any relative acquisitions accumulated by this body are definitely subject to final destruction. Therefore, no one should be attached to perishable things. As long as one is within this material body, he should be very cautious in worldly dealings. The most perverted, perverted way of life in this material world is simply to be devoted to my transcendental loving service and to execute honestly the prescribed duties of one's particular position. As far as you are concerned, you all belong to Chhatriya families. Therefore, you should live honestly according to the prescribed duties befitting the royal order and make your citizens happy in all respects. Keep to the standard of Chhatriya life. Do not beget children out of sense gratification, but simply take charge of the welfare of the people in general. Everyone takes birth in this material world in continuation of his previous life, and thus he is subject to the stringent laws of nature, such as birth and death, distress and happiness, profit and loss. One should not be disturbed by duality, but should always be fixed in my devotional service and thus remain balanced in mind and satisfied in all circumstances, considering all things to be given by me. Thus one can live a very happy and peaceful life, even within this material condition. In other words, one should actually be callous to the material body and its byproducts and should be unaffected by them. One should remain fully satisfied in the interests of the spirit soul and engage in the service of the super soul. One should engage his mind only in thinking of me. One should simply become my devotee. One should simply worship me and one should offer his respectful obeisances unto me alone. In this way, one can cross over this ocean of nations very easily and at the end come back to me. In conclusion, your lives should constantly be engaged in my service. After delivering his instructions to the kings and princes, Lord Krishna immediately arranged for their comfort and asked many servants and maidservants to take care of them. Lord Krishna requested Sahadev, the son of King Jarasandha, to supply all necessities to the kings and show them all respect and honor. In pursuance of the order of Lord Krishna, Sahadev offered them all honor and presented them with ornaments garments, garlands, and other paraphernalia. After taking their baths and dressing very nicely, the kings appeared happy and gentle. Then they were supplied nice food. Lord Krishna supplied everything for their comfort as befitting their royal positions. Since the kings 
were so mercifully treated by Lord Krishna, they felt great happiness, and their bright faces appeared just like the stars in the sky after the end of the rainy season. All nicely dressed and ornamented, their earrings glittering, they were then seated on chariots bedecked with gold and jewels and drawn by decorated horses. After seeing that each was taken care of, Lord Krishna, in a sweet voice, asked them to return to their respective kingdoms. By his liberal behavior, unparalleled in the history of the world, Lord Krishna released all the kings who had been in the clutches of Jarasandha. And the kings, being fully satisfied, began to chant his holy name, think of his holy form, and glorify his transcendental pastimes as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Thus engaged, they returned to their respective kingdoms. The citizens of their kingdoms were greatly pleased to see them return. And when they heard of the kind dealings of Lord Krishna, they were all very happy. The kings began to manage the affairs of their kingdoms in accordance with the instructions of Lord Krishna. And all those kings and their subjects passed their days very happily. This is a vivid example <clears throat> of a Krishna conscious society. If the people of the world, taking into account their respective material qualities, divide the whole society into four orders for material progress and four orders for spiritual progress, centering these orders on Krishna and following the instructions of Krishna as stated in the Bhagavad Gita, the entire human society will undoubtedly be happy. This is the lesson we have to take from this incident. After thus causing the annihilation of Jirasandha by Bhimasen, and after being properly honored by Sahadev, the son of Jirasandha, Lord Krishna, accompanied by Bhimasen and Arjuna, returned to the city of Hastinapur. When they reached the precincts of Hastinapur, they blew their respective conch shells, and by hearing the sound vibrations and understanding who was arriving, everyone immediately became cheerful. But the enemies of Krishna, upon hearing the conch shells, were very sorry. The citizens of Indraprastha felt their hearts become joyful simply by hearing the vibration of Krishna's conch shell because they could understand that Jarasandha had been killed. Now, the performance of the Rajasuya sacrifice by King Yudhishthir was almost certain. Bhimasthen, Arjuna and Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, arrived before King Yudhishthir and offered their respects to the king. King Yudhishthir attentively heard the narration of the killing of Jurasanda and the setting free of the kings. He also heard of the tactics adop adopted by Krishna to kill Jurasanda. The king was naturally affectionate toward Krishna 
But after hearing this story, he became even more bound to him in love. Tears of ecstasy glided from his eyes and he was so stunned that he was almost unable to speak. Thus ends the Bhaktivedanta purport of the 73rd chapter of Krishna. Lord Krishna returns to the city of Hastinapur. All glories to Lord Sri Krishna. All glories to Bhima and Arjuna. All glories to Maharaj Yudhishthira, who is about to become the emperor of the earth by the grace of the Lord. So here we are, 745. And the next chapter Can you hand me the book? Because I haven't been going on too late the last few, this last week or so more, uh, my health is increasing and my healing is increasing. So I want to take that into consideration. But at the same time, I want to read as much as possible. It's so sweet. Okay. Okay, this is a short chapter, and we're going to read it fairly short. Chapter 74 The Deliverance of Shishupal King Yudhishthir became very happy after hearing the details of the Jurasenda episode and he spoke as follows My dear Krishna O eternal form of bliss and knowledge all the exalted directors of the affairs of this material world including Lord Brahma, Lord Shiva, and Lord Indra, are always eager to receive and carry out orders from you. And whenever they are fortunate, fortunate enough to receive such orders, they immediately take them and keep them on their heads. O Krishna, you are unlimited, and although we sometimes think of ourselves as royal kings and rulers of the world, and become puffed up over our paltry positions. We are very poor in heart. Actually, we are fit to be punished by you. But the wonder is that instead of punishing us, you so kindly and mercifully accept our orders and carry them out properly. We are all very much surprised that your Lordship can play the part of an ordinary human being. But we can understand that you are performing these activities just like a dramatic artist. Your real position is always exalted, exactly like that of the sun, which always remains at the same temperature during both the time of its rising and the time of its setting. Although we, although we feel the difference in temperature between the rising and the setting sun, the temperature of the sun never changes. 
you are always transcendentally equipoised, neither pleased nor disturbed by any condition of material affairs. You are the Supreme Brahman, the Personality of Godhead, and for you there are no rel relativities. My dear Madhava, you are never defeated by anyone. Material distinctions, this is me, this is you, this is mine, this is yours, are all conspicuous by, the, by dint of their absence in you. Such distinctions are visible in the lives of everyone, even the animals. But pure devotees are freed from these false distinctions. Since these distinctions are absent in your devotees, they cannot possibly be present in you. After satisfying Krishna in this way, King Yudhishthir arranged to perform the Rajasuya sacrifice. He invited all the qualified brahmanas and sages to take part and appointed them to different positions as priests in charge of the sacrificial arena. He invited the most expert brahmanas and sages whose names were as follows Krishna Dvaipayana Vyasa Dev, Bharadvaj, Sumantu, Gotama, Asita, Vishishta, Chaivana, Kanva, Kanva, Maitreya, Kavasha, Triti, Vishamrita, Vamanade, Sumati, Jaimini, Kratu, Paila, Parashara, Garga, Vaishampayana, Artava, Kashapa, Daumya, Parashuram, Shukracharya, Asuri, Vitihotra, Muchuchatan, Maduchuchanda, Maduchandana, no, I'm sorry, Maduchanda, Virasena, and Akritavrana. Besides all these brahmanas and sages, he invited such respectable old men as Dronacharya, Bhishma, the grandfather of the Kurus, Kripacharya, and Dhritarashtra. He also invited all the sons of Dhritarashtra, headed by Duryodhana, and also the great devotee Vidura, kings from different parts of the world, along with their ministers and secretaries, were also invited to see the great sacrifice performed by King Yudhishthir. And the citizens comprising learned brahmanas, chivalrous chatriyas, well-to-do vaishyas, and faithful shudras all visited the ceremony. The brahmana priests and sages in charge of the sacrificial ceremony constructed the sacrificial arena as usual with a plough of gold and the initiated King Yudhishthir as the performer of the great sacrifice in accordance with Vedic rituals. Long years earlier, when Varuna had performed a similar sacrifice, all the sacrificial utensils had been made of gold. Similarly, in the Rajasuya sacrifice of King Yudhishthir, all the utensils required for the sacrifice were golden. Present by the invitation of King Yudhishthir to, to, to participate in the great sacrifice 
were all the exalted demigods, including Lord Brahma, Lord Shiva, and Indra, the king of heaven, accompanied by their associates, as well as the predominating deities of the higher planetary systems, including Gandharvaloka, Siddhaloka, Janaloka, Tapoloka, Nagaloka, Yakshaloka, Rakshashaloka, Pakshiloka, and Charnaloka. Charnaloka. As well as famous kings and their queens. All the respectable sages, kings, and demigods who assembled there agreed unanimously that King Yudhishthir was quite competent to take the responsibility of performing the Rajasuya sacrifice. So no one was in disagreement on this fact. Everyone thoroughly knew the position of King Yudhishthir because he was a great devotee of Lord Krishna. No one accomplished. No accomplishment was extraordinary for him. The learned brahmanas and priests saw to it that the sacrifice by Maharaj Yudhishthir was performed in exactly the same way as it had been as it as it had been in bygone ages by the demigod Varuna. According to the Vedic system, whenever there is an arrangement for sacrifice, the members participating are offered the juice of the soma plant, which is a kind of life-giving beverage. On the day for extracting the soma juice, King Yudhishthir was very, very respectfully received the special priest who had been engaged to detect any mistake in the formalities of the sacrificial procedure. The idea is that the Vedic mantras must be enunciated perfectly and chanted with the proper accent. If the priests who were, in, who were engaged in this business commit any mistake, the checker or referee priest immediately corrects the procedure and thus the ritualistic performances are perfectly executed. Unless perfectly executed, a sacrifice cannot yield the desired result. In this age of Kali, there is no such learned brahmana or priest available. Therefore, all such sacrifices are forbidden. The only sacrifice recommended in the Shastras is the chanting of the Hare Krishna mantra. Another important procedure is that the most exalted personality in the assembly of such a sacrificial ceremony is first offered worship. After all arrangements were made for Yudhishthira's sacrifice, the next consideration was who should be worshipped first in the ceremony. This particular ceremony is called Agra Puja. Agra means first and Puja means worship. This Agra Puja is similar to the election of a president. In the sacrificial assembly, all the members were very exalted. Some proposed to elect one person as the perfect candidate for accepting Agra Puja and others proposed someone else. When the matter, when the matter remained undecided, <clears throat> Sahadev began to speak 
in favor of Lord Krishna. He said, Lord Krishna, the best amongst the members of the Yadu dynasty and the protector of his devotees, is the most exalted personality in this assembly. Therefore, I think that he should, without any objection, be offered the honor of being worshipped first. Although demigods such as Lord Brahma, Lord Shiva, Indra, and many other exalted personalities are present in this assembly, no one can be equal or to or greater than Krishna in terms of time, space, riches, strength, reputation, wisdom, renunciation, or any other consideration. Anything considered in opulence is fully present in Krishna. As an individual soul is the basic principle of the growth of his material body, Krishna is the super-soul of this cosmic manifestation. All, all Vedic ritualistic ceremonies, such as the performance of sacrifices, the offering of oblations into the fire, the chanting of the Vedic hymns, and the practice of mystic yoga, are meant for realizing Krishna. Whether one follows the path of fruitive activities or the path of philosophical speculation, the ultimate destination is Krishna. All bona fide methods of self-realization are meant for understanding Krishna. Ladies and gentlemen, it is superfluous to speak about Krishna because every one of you exalted personalities knows the Supreme Brahman, Lord Krishna, for whom there are no material differences between body and soul, between energy and the energetic, or between one part of the body and another. Since everyone is part and parcel of Krishna, there is no qualitative difference between Krishna and all living entities. Everything is an emanation of Krishna's energies, material and spiritual. Krishna's energies are like the heat and light of fire. There is no difference between the qualities of heat and light and the fire itself. Also, Krishna can do anything. Also, Krishna can do anything he likes with any part of his body. We can execute a particular action with the help of a particular part of our body. But he can do anything and everything with any part of his body. And because his transcendental body is full of knowledge and bliss in eternity, he does not undergo the six kinds of material changes, birth, existence, growth, production, dwindling, and vanishing. Unforced by any external energy, he is the supreme cause of the creation, maintenance, and dissolution of everything that be. By the grace of Krishna only, everyone is engaged in the practice of religion, the development of economic conditions, the satisfaction of the senses, and ultimately the achievement of liberation from material bondage. These four principles of progressive life can be executed by the mercy of Krishna only. He should therefore be offered the first worship in this great sacrifice, 
and therefore, and no one should disagree. Just as by watering the leaves and flowers, or as by supplying food to the stomach, one automatically nourishes all parts of the body, so by offering the first worship to Krishna, we should satisfy everyone present in this meeting, including the great demigods. If anyone is charitably disposed, it will be very good for him to give charity only to Krishna, who is the super-soul of everyone, regardless of his particular body or individual personality. Krishna is present as the super-soul in every living being, and if we can satisfy him, then every living being will automatically be satisfied. <clears throat> Sahadev was fortunate to know of the glories of Krishna, and after describing them in brief, <clears throat> he stopped speaking. After this speech, all the members present in that great sacrificial assembly applauded, confirming his words continuously by saying, everything you have said is completely perfect. Everything you have said is completely perfect. Everything you have said is completely perfect. I said it three times. It was only two times written, but three times a charm. King Yudhishthir, after hearing the confirmation by all present, especially by the brahmanas and learned sages, worshipped Lord Krishna according to the regulated principles of the Vedic injunctions. First of all, King Yudhishthir, along with his brothers, wives, children, other relatives and ministers, washed the lotus feet of Lord Krishna and sprinkled the water on their heads. After this, he offered Lord Krishna various kinds of yellow silken garments and presented heaps of jewelry and ornaments before him for his use. King Yudhisthira felt such ecstasy by honoring Krishna, his only lovable object, that tears glided down from his eyes. And although he wanted to see Lord Krishna, he could not see him very well. When Lord Krishna was thus worshipped by King Yudhisthira, all the members present in the assembly stood up with folded hands and began to chant, Jai, Jai, Namaha, Namaha. All joined, all joined together to offer their respectful obeisances to Krishna. And there were showers of flowers from the sky. In that meeting, King Shishupal was present. He was an avowed enemy of Krishna for many reasons, especially because of Krishna's having stolen Rukmini from his intended marriage ceremony. Therefore, he could not tolerate such honoring of Krishna and glorification of his qualities. Instead of being happy to hear the glories of the Lord, he became very angry. When everyone offered respect to Krishna by standing up, Shishupal remained in his seat 
But as he became angrier at Krishna's being honored, he stood up suddenly, raised his hand, and spoke very strongly and fearlessly against Lord Krishna in such a way that Lord Krishna could hear him distinctly. Ladies and gentlemen, I can appreciate now the statement of the Vedas that after all, time is the predominating factor. In spite of all endeavors to the contrary, the time element executes its own plan without opposition. For example, one may try his best to live, but when the time for death comes, no one can check it. I see here that although many stalwart personalities are present in this assembly, the influence of time is so strong that they have been misled by the statement of a boy who has foolishly spoken about Krishna. Many learned sages and elder persons are present, but still they have accepted the statement of a foolish boy. This means that by the influence of time, even the intelligence of such honored persons as those present in this meeting can be misdirected. I fully agree with the respectable persons present here that they are competent to select the personality who can be worshipped first. But I cannot agree with the statement of a boy like Sahadev who has spoken so highly about Krishna and has recommended that Krishna is fit to accept the first worship in the sacrifice. I can see that in this meeting there are many personalities who have undergone great austerities, who are highly learned and who have performed many penances. By their knowledge and direction they can deliver many persons who are suffering from the pangs of material existence. There are great rishis here whose knowledge has no bounds, as well as many self-realized persons and brahmanas also. And therefore I think that any one of them could have been selected for the first worship because they are worshipable even by the great demigods, kings and emperors. I cannot understand how you have selected this cowherd boy, Krishna, <clears throat> and have left aside all these great personalities. I think Krishna to be no better than a crow. Ooh. How can he be fit to accept the first worship in this great sacrifice? We cannot even ascertain which caste this Krishna belongs to or what his actual occupational duty is. Actually, Krishna does not belong to any caste, nor does he have to perform any occupational duty. It is stated in the Vedas that the Supreme Lord has nothing to do as his prescribed duty. Whatever has to be done on his behalf is executed by his different energies. Shishupal continued, Krishna does not belong to a high family. He is so independent that no one knows his principles of religious life. Indeed, it appears that he is outside the jurisdiction of all religious principles. He always acts independently, not caring for the Vedic injunctions 
and regulative principles. Therefore, he is devoid of all good qualities. Shishupal indirectly praised Krishna by saying that he is not within the jurisdiction of Vedic injunctions. This is true because he is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, that he has no good qualities, gunai hina, means that Krishna has no material qualities. And because he is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, he acts independently, not caring for conventions in social or religious principles. Shishupal continued, Under these circumstances, how can he be fit to accept the first worship in the, in the sacrifice? Krishna is so foolish that he has left Mathura, which is inhabited by highly elevated persons following the Vedic culture and has taken shelter in the ocean where there is not even talk of the Vedas. Instead of living openly, he has constructed a fort within the water and is living in a place where there is no discussion of Vedic knowledge. And whenever he comes out of the fort, he simply harasses the citizens like a dacoit, thief or rogue. Wow. Shishupal went crazy because of Krishna's being elected the supreme, first worshipped person in that meeting. And he spoke so irresponsibly that it appeared he had lost all his good fortune. Being overcast with misfortune, Shishupal continued to insult Krishna. And Lord Krishna patiently heard him without protest. Just as a lion does not care when a flock of jackals howl, Lord Krishna remained silent and unprovoked. Krishna did not reply to even a single accusation made by Shishupal, but all the members present in the meeting, except for a few who agreed with Shishupal, were very much agitated because it is the duty of any respectable person not to tolerate blasphemy against God or his devotee. Some of them who thought that they could not properly take action against Shishupal left the assembly in protest, covering their ears with their hands in order not to hear further accusations. Thus they left the meeting, condemning the action of Shishupal. It is the Vedic injunction that whenever there is blasphemy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, one must immediately leave. If he does not do so, he becomes bereft of his pious activities and is degraded to a lower condition of life. All the kings present belonging to the Kuru dynasty, Matsya dynasty, Kekaya dynasty, and Srinjaya dynasty were very angry and immediately took up their swords and shields to kill Shishupal, who was so foolish that he was not even slightly agitated, although all the kings present were ready to kill him. Shishupal did not care to think of the pros and cons of his foolish talking, and instead of stopping, when he saw that all the kings were ready to kill him, he stood to fight them, fight with them, and took up his sword 
and shield. When Lord Krishna saw that they were going to fight in the arena of the auspicious Rajasuya Yajna, he personally pacified them. Out of his causeless mercy, he himself decided to kill Shishupal. When Shishupal was abusing the kings who were about to attack him, Lord Krishna took up his disc as sharp as the blade of a razor and immediately separated Shishupal's head from his body. When Shishupal was thus killed, a great roar and howl went up from the crowd. Taking advantage of that disturbance, the few kings who were supporters of Shishupal quickly left the assembly out of fear for their lives. Then the fortunate Shishupal's spirit soul immediately merged into the body of Lord Krishna in the presence of all, exactly as a burning meteor falls to the surface of the globe. The merging of Shishupal's soul into the transcendental body of Krishna reminds us of the story of Jai and Vijay, who fell to the material world from the Vaikuntha planets upon being cursed by the four Kumaras. For their return to the Vaikuntha world, it was arranged that both Jai and Vijay, for three consecutive births, would act as deadly enemies of the Lord. And, at the, and, at the end, and, and that at the end of these lives, they would return to the Vaikuntha world and serve the Lord as his associates. Although Shishupal acted as the enemy of Krishna, he was, he was not for a single moment out of Krishna consciousness. He was always absorbed in thought of Krishna, and thus he first got the salvation of Sayuja Mukti, merging into the existence of the Supreme and was finally reinstated in his original position of personal service. The Bhagavad Gita corroborates the fact that one who was absorbed in the thought of the Supreme Lord at the time of death immediately enters the kingdom of God after quitting his material body. After the salvation of Shishupal, King Yudhishthir rewarded all the members present in the sacrificial assembly. He generously remunerated the priests and learned sages for their engagement in the execution of the sacrifice. And after performing all this routine work, he took his bath. This bath at the end of the sacrifice is also technical. It is called avabrita bath. Lord Krishna thus enabled the performance of the Rajasuya Jagya. Lord Krishna thus enabled the performance of, a, of the Rajasuya Jagya arranged by King Yudhishthir to be successfully completed and, after, and being requested by his cousins and relatives he remained in Hastinapur for a few months more. Although King Yudhishthir and his brothers were unwilling to have Lord Krishna leave Hastinapur. Krishna arranged to take permission from the king to return to Dwarka. And thus he returned home along with his queens and ministers. The story of the fall of Jai and Vijay from the Vaikuntha planets to the material world 
is described in the seventh canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. The killing of Shishupal has a direct link with that narration of Jaya Vijaya, but the most important instruction we get from this incident is that the Supreme Personality of Godhead, being absolute, can give salvation to everyone, whether one acts as his enemy or as his friend. It is therefore a misconception that the Lord acts with someone in relationship of friend and with someone else in the relationship of enemy. His being an enemy or friend is always on the absolute platform. There is no material distinction. After King Yudhishthira took his bath at the conclusion of the sacrifice and stood in the midst of the, all the learned sages and brahmanas, he seemed exactly like the king of heaven and thus looked very beautiful. King Yudhishthira generously rewarded all the demigods who participated in the yajna and being greatly satisfied, all of them left praising the king's activities and glorifying Lord Krishna. When Shukadev Goswami narrated these incidents of Krishna's killing Shushupal and described the successful execution of the Rajasuya Jagya by Maharaj Yudhishthira, he also pointed out that after the successful termination of the Jagya only, only one person was unhappy. He was Duryodhana. Duryodhana by nature was very envious because of his sinful life and he appeared in the dynasty of the Kurus like a chronic disease personified to destroy the whole family. Shukadev Goswami assured Maharaj Pariksit that the pastimes of Lord Krishna, the killing of Shishupal and Jarasandha and the releasing of the imprisoned kings are all transcendental vibrations and that anyone who hears these narrations from authorized persons will immediately be freed from all the reactions of the sinful activities of his life. Thus end the Bhaktivedanta purport of the 74th chapter of Krishna, the deliverance of Shishupal. All glories to the patience of Krishna tolerating Shishupal's babbling and all glories to Sahadev so nicely glorifying Krishna to all of the assembled exalted persons. Hare Krishna. Glories to Maharaj Yudhishthira who became the emperor of the world. Interestingly, at the time of that sacrifice, Dhritarashtra was sitting on the throne of Pandu who was the emperor of the world. So this is highly unusual. And it precipitated the battle of Kurukshetra, or helped precipitate it at least. Okay, so uh, we'll end our reading today, tonight. And if there's any, uh, any points that made special impressions that you want to reflect upon, please be our guests, discussions, Hare Krishna. Bear in mind that it's 8.20. First is from Devadharana. 
Devadarna Haribo. Jai Maharaj Hare Krishna. Please accept my humble obeisances, all glories to Sri the Prabhupada and to your wondrous service. Hare Krishna. From Saloni Sachi Sundari. Saloni Sachi Sundari. Haribo. Hare Krishna Maharaj, all glories to Sri the Prabhupada, all <coughs> glories to the nectar of Krishna's pastimes. Sudevi Dasi says Hare Krishna Maharaj. Hare Krishna Sudevi. Rati Manjari says Jai Guru Maharaj. Jai Rati Manjari. This is something from Bhakta Matsu. Matsu. He says, Please accept my humble obeisances, all glories to Jagat Guru Srila Prabhupada. Maharaj, if we are in a situation that we don't have the association with devotees in person, can we really make substantial spiritual advancement? Of course, Prabhupada has famously said that you are in illusion if you think you can make advancement alone. But what if a devotee is chanting and reading every day and connecting with devotees in every way possible, virtually? Are we really destined to have to come back to this material world again to suffer another birth without the physical proximity of sadhus? What does it really mean to associate with devotees? It depends on your consciousness. You, be in, you may be in the association of the devotees, but be somewhere else in your heart. If, you're, if you were outside of the association of devotees, but are remembering them with love and affection, and hearing from them, even through the internet, which is the same, the sound is the same, then you'll be fine. You'll go back to Godhead. But it depends on your consciousness. It's not that we go back to the con con to the spiritual world just having any consciousness. There's that one verse that I think I should quote again because I've said it in enough times. Nayanatma prabhajanena labhya Nayanatma prabhajanena labhyo namedasha Na bahuna chutena yam evaisha vrinute tena labyas tachaisha atma vrinute tenum swam. The Supreme Lord is not obtained by expert explanations, by vast intelligence, or even by much hearing. He is obtained only by one who he himself chooses. To such a person, he manifests his own form. That's from the Mundaka Upanishad, three two three. So Krishna has to choose us, and in order to choose us, he has to be pleased with us. And if we are pleased with the devotees, and if we associate with the devotees in that pleasing mood, but if we keep separate from the devotees because we don't feel pleased in their association, then no matter we're with them or without them, in their, in their company or not in their company, your hearing of Krishna Gita will not have the same effect. <laughs> 
Satam Prasangam Manabirya Sambhido. The truth is that hearing can only be done properly in the association of the devotees. We are doing so in this daily readings and devotees are participating and expressing their affection and their loyalty and their happiness continuously. So it doesn't have anything to do with the mechanical or physical activity. Uh, it has to do with your consciousness. Hare Krishna. And if you want to be reminded, just read chapter 12 of the Bhagavad Gita, verses 13 to 20. And there Krishna will explain what actually makes him happy. Next is from Yadutama. Haribo Yadutama Prabhu. He says, Hare Krishna, dear Guru Maharaj, please accept my humble obeisances and all glories to Prabhupada. Hmm. Why does it seem like that Shishupal wasn't as powerful as other incarnation of Jaya and Vijaya, like Hiranyakashipu and Ravana? Because it's the, it's because it, oh, you finished? Is that finished? Because it's at the end of the Dwarka, Dwarpa Yuga and just at the beginning of the Kali Yuga. Kali Yuga starts right around this time. Sometimes it's, by our Acharyas say it happened in the middle of the Kurukshetra battle. Sometimes it, it says immediately when Krishna left. But in, somewhere in that time, which was, was just a few years, uh, the Kali Yuga began. And therefore, all these things are going on. And Shishabal does not have the same power as Ravana. But still, Krishna dealt with him in a very special way with his Sudhasanchakra in front of all of these persons. Actually, Shishabal had been given a benediction. I don't know the story behind it. I'm sorry. I don't know the detail. But he was given a benediction that he could blaspheme Krishna 100 times without uh, retribution. So Krishna was waiting for that 100th time. <laughs> and as soon as, you know, he said the 101th first time, Krishna, Krishna let his Sudasan Chakra speak for himself. So it was a wonderful way that Krishna killed him, even though he was not such a great demon as Hiranyakashipu or Ravana. So that's the reason why he wasn't so great, is because of the nature of the age. Hare Krishna. Next is from Ananda Murti Devi Das. Hare Krishna Ananda Murti. She says, Jai Guru Maharaj, please accept my respectful obeisances. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Jai Srila Prabhupada. Today I heard that Krishna himself explained to us how to live with Krishna consciousness and devotional service without deviation. Yes. Now we should incorporate that into our daily lives and our mental and physical lives 
and then we'll become perfect and we'll go back to Godhead. Hare Krishna. Yadutama says, Thank you so much. All glories to your daily readings. Hare Krishna. Thank you so much, everyone, for your you know, for your reflections and thank you those who normally give reflections to Magnada because it's late. I deeply appreciate it. Thank you. Sri Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Ki Jai. The beautiful pastimes of Krishna, Ki Jai. Samaveda Bhakta Vinda Ki Jai. Gaur, Premanandi, Hari Hari Bo. Tomorrow night, we'll see you for the ongoing, inconceivable, wonderful pastimes of Krishna. Same time, same topic. Hare Krishna. See you tomorrow.